HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. Welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. On today's episode, I welcome Jeff Bird and his daughter-in-law, Lauren, to the program to discuss their restaurant, Two Birds Tap House in Marietta, Georgia. The restaurant is truly a family labor of love. Jeff, his wife, his son, and Lauren all joined forces to open Two Birds in 2016. Jeff was a recently retired attorney that saw a need for the community to have a gathering spot that would promote craft beer alongside tasty food. He had no previous experience in restaurants or hospitality, and from the start took on the massive role of being the day-to-day operator on site. Lauren, who now lives in Brooklyn, had extensive hospitality experience coming into the project and was the brains behind streamlining opening and smoothing out all the operations in the infancy of Two Birds. She is now the director of customer success at Bento Box, where she spends all day dealing with helping other people promote their own restaurants. While she brought a wealth of experience to the Two Birds project, this was also her first opening as an owner. So on today's episode, we discuss the pros and cons of working with your family, what it's like to own a restaurant when you have never worked in one before, and what it's like to own a restaurant from afar. And of course, we talk about COVID and how it affected Two Birds directly and all of its staff and the decisions the owners made that helped them make it through. Now, on to the episode. So... Jeff and Lauren, welcome to the line. Thanks for joining me. You're actually joining me from different locations. So Jeff, you're in Georgia, correct? I'm in Marietta, Georgia. That's right. And Lauren, you're in Brooklyn, New York? I sure am. Okay, but the restaurant is in Marietta, Georgia, (laughs) right? So Jeff, let's just start off by what's the name of the restaurant? Where is it located? And when did you open it? Uh, the restaurant is, is Two Birds Tap House. The the name was uh, uh, created by our daughter in our family, and she was thinking primarily of me and my son when she came up with that name, because our last name is Bird. So we call it Two Birds Tap House. Uh, and it's sitting about uh, you know 10 minutes away from where I'm sitting right now in Marietta, Georgia. It's a, 
a smallish town, uh, a little north of Atlanta. It's got that old kind of town square feel, and our restaurant is located just off the square. And we opened in July of 2016. And so... The restaurant is a new venture for everyone involved because, Jeff, you were an attorney or you still are an attorney. So it's not like you uh, have a lifetime of uh, culinary experience. And uh, Lauren, you were not involved in the in the culinary world either, right? So not only is this a family business, a family affair to get involved in perhaps the most uh, complex and risky business of all time, but not everyone involved had a lot of experience, right? So, uh, Jeff, let's start off with you. What's what's your background? And then, uh, Lauren, we'll talk a little bit to you about kind of how you got involved in this family business. Uh, well, Eli, you're right. I had literally zero experience to, to bring to this venture. I, I worked as a lawyer for over 30 years. In the last... 25 or so with a consulting firm that worked with companies who bought other companies. And, you know, the work was tedious, detailed, dull, really, really dull. Uh, but the, but the job allowed us to take great care of our family and we were grateful for that. But I really had nothing to bring to the table when we first opened. Uh, and I'll let Lauren share her background because she's the one that kind of made it happen for us. So tell us how, uh, how did you come to this uh, Two Birds family business? <laughs> yeah, so Jeff's definitely not giving himself enough credit by saying he brought nothing to the table because he, he brings the most to the table um, for sure. But yeah, so I actually, um, so my background was in hospitality, but it was in the front of house affairs. So um, I was coming from uh, restaurant management and working for different, you know, hospitality groups to open new restaurants. And um, my husband, uh, fiance or boyfriend at the time, or no, fiance at the time, I guess, was <laughs> Jeff's son. Um, and uh, and you know, he kind of pitched this idea he had to me about. Um, you know, opening a new bar and restaurant in his hometown with his parents. And it sort of came at a time for me um, that I was noticing um, sort of this like uh, discrepancy between, you know, restaurants and and restaurant teams put so much effort into uh, providing hospitality to their guests and going above and beyond for people dining at the restaurant or their communities, but there wasn't as much emphasis on hospitality within the restaurant. And it felt like I saw so much of like everyone kind of giving themselves, giving all of themselves out, but not getting as much back in return. And so I saw it as an opportunity to, you know, open a restaurant, but in a completely different homegrown, like from the heart way. Uh, and that really spoke to me. So. Uh, the crazy thing is we moved in with them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a great way to get to know your in-laws, just move into their house and open a business with them. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I wouldn't, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best things we've ever done. So There's a lot of steps to this that uh, I think people that are listening to this episode are going to say, this sounds <laughs> crazy. And this is not something that I would want to that I would want to personally do. I am involved with a family member in my business. My brother is my business partner. And I can tell you 
it's an amazing experience to be in business with a family member. You can maybe trust them more than you could trust a stranger. Uh, you can be very in tune with a family member. You have specific shared ideals, but there's always a but. The but is that you're in business with your family member, and that yeah. can lead to a very stressful and sometimes uh, tension-filled existence. And then you moved in with them. So, um, <laughs> so I want to ask, and I hope you'll both be honest. It, you know, were there times when you were all budding heads? We've got basically four personalities involved. There's Lauren and your husband, and then both of uh, your husband's parents, right? So we've got four people kind of involved in this project. Were there any situations where? where no one agreed, where there were two teams kind of pitted against each other. Tell me about anything that where that may have happened in the in the design, build out or development process. I would say I'll I'll quickly answer and then I'm sure Jeff has more on this than I do, but I would say that um uh a lot of it was more my husband Dan with his parents because you know you have that like emotional connection there. So for me, I've always sort of been a peacemaker. You know, I, I'm not in love with confrontation. So I was usually kind of on the sidelines trying to keep, keep everything smooth. Uh, but, uh, you know, my husband and, and Jeff are both like very passionate people. And so most of the time that worked out well that they were on the same page. But Jeff, wouldn't you say like if anyone butted head, it, heads, it was probably you and Dan? <laughs> I, I think that's true. And, uh, you know, Eli, I agree with everything you were saying about the, the upside of working with family. It's, you know, trust, common bond, you know, shared values and all of that. Um, but I also think personality comes into a little bit. Sometimes it has not nothing to do with conflict. It's just personalities. I, I'll be Lauren, Dan, my wife, Rachel, uh, you know, their, their glass is perpetually half full and, and mine, sadly, for whatever reason, is usually like three quarters empty. And, and, uh, so I think, you know, I would, I, at several points in the process kind of looked back on my own behavior and said, yeah, I really did kill that buzz. They're, they're feeling good about something, celebrating a moment or a milestone, I'm quickly reminding them of the 20 things that went wrong that, that we need to address right now. So I think that kind of thing, I don't know that's because we were family members or we were just different people, uh, that that got in the way. But I think, to Lauren's point, Dan and I did butt heads quite a bit uh, on, on certain things, but we sort of quickly learned each other's lanes. We all had strengths, and then we we, we quickly gave up trying to micromanage the field that wasn't ours. And, and, you know, Lauren was operations. She had been there, done that, actually opened larger places in LA. And we just did what she told us to do. Uh, we, we did all the lifting. She did all the organizing uh, and kept us on task. We didn't question. My son, Dan, has a really unique interest and ability in design. And he spent a whole lot of time designing our space, laying out our space, buying our furnishings, and you know to give it the kind of look and, and vibe we were we were aiming for. And um, you know, I might have had opinions in the beginning, but I learned quickly that 
this was not my thing. And, and Dan took over, and I was sort of involved in that, and, and people didn't tend to challenge me too much in that area. So we did stay in our lanes and avoided, you know, a, a, a lot of unnecessary conflict. But there, there was conflict on occasion. Very pragmatic approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, I agree with Jeff. It worked really well to let everyone have some ownership over what they were passionate about, and then everyone would try and just let them run with that and not, you know, throw out too many opinions with what other people were working at and just trust in everyone's strengths. And then we had to set some ground rules that helped us a lot. You know, we would say, hey, after 6 p.m. every day, we don't talk about two birds because we're all living together and eating meals together. And so it was, you know, we'll get up in the morning, we'll work all day through, but after six, we don't talk about it. And so we would try and get dinner or, you know, watch a show at the time we were also planning a wedding because that seemed like a great idea to do in Tana. <laughs> and so we would like talk about the wedding or go for hikes. You know, we tried to incorporate some other things and, and I, I feel like there was a big shift when we were able to do that. And so let's talk more specifically about the actual restaurant concept that you brought out into the world. So when you were dreaming it up, um, did you have a really concrete idea of what you wanted it to be and did it morph over time or was the original concept of the restaurant, is it what Two Birds actually is today? I'll, I'll start with that. Uh, I think our concept was really simple. It was create a, a, a bar and kitchen that we would enjoy going to. And there wasn't you know, anything spot on in our hometown, lots of places uh, we, we enjoyed, but, uh, you know, we, we were really just going after a place that the people like well, us and the people we know would enjoy going to. So that was the kind of the, the uh, guiding principle. And then that became a little more refined that uh, we were going to present ourselves more as a bar than a restaurant, but had elevated Southern inspired bar food. Uh, but I think that's as deep as we got on the conceptual phase. And I think the business is, is still very true to that. It's not, you know, our menu today is not that similar to the menu we started with, but that's just sort of natural evolution and, and, and tweaking and refining. And, uh, but we haven't really strayed too far from that concept. Lauren, anything to add on on that from from start to finish of the of the conceptual development? Since you were bringing the sort of organizational expertise to the table, yeah, we really did stay uh, true to it. I think um, you know some of the pieces that inspired us when we opened Two Birds um, was uh, a focus on where we were located, and and we've stayed true to that. So. You know, we would travel around while we were opening, trying, uh, you know, craft beers from the area. And there's still this very big emphasis on, you know, craft beer from the Southeast. Or um, we worked with uh, people in the community to build all of our tables. Or, um, you know, we have artifacts around two birds from, you know, loved ones who have passed on or gifts from people who frequent the bar that are hanging around. And so, yeah, I think like that overall kind of energy and vibe that you get when we first started has only just expanded, but stayed 
you know, true to that, which is really great. A lot of people that listen to this show are really heavy industry folks. Um, This is kind of a really niche technical question, but um, Lauren, coming from Los Angeles uh, and living in New York where uh, you run into a lot of huge big city issues on the permitting front and there are really uh, deeply ingrained governmental bureaucracy issues and then you've got the health department. I'm curious, how does that compare with opening up um, in a smaller town. I don't know the population of where you are, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, from you describing it, I'm assuming that it's uh, a, a much smaller town. And mm-hmm. um, did that make it easier? Or were there challenges about opening up um, a restaurant in a, in a more suburban town that, that, gave you, uh, that gave you a lot of uh, challenges that you hadn't seen in bigger cities? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little bit of both. So um, you know, one thing that we knew from the get go that was important to us in order to succeed in this um, was um, owning the property and that that was going to help us tremendously in being able to successfully, um, you know, operate this business. So that is sort of a luxury in a smaller market versus, hey, I'm going to go out in New York City and buy this, buy this building, you know. Um, And so a lot of, uh, you know, kind of difficulties that I'd experienced previously, um, you know, with rent or landlord or permitting issues, you know, we didn't have to run into. However, on the flip side, Marietta is a historical, um, we are on a historical square. So there is a committee that we have to run things by when we want to make changes and make sure that it still fits, you know, um, like with that uh, overall, like, um, you know, ambiance of the Marietta Square. And so because it was an older building, um, as we started to take walls down and, you know, uh, work at the ceiling, we found like, you know, old chimneys that were up there that hadn't been used. in <laughs> who knows how long that we were like, Oh, what do we do with that thing? Or, you know, there was like, the crawl space, had all sorts of things happening down there, you know, it's just, it, it was built so long ago. So that, so there were some similarities in that. Um, I'll also say the thing about being in more of a secondary market is, you know, we can't, we couldn't come in and say like, we're going to take these aspects from LA and New York and everyone's going to love it there. You know, it's like, no, you have to um, also know who you are catering to and like what do they want and just because you thought something was cool and it works somewhere else it doesn't mean that that's what the local community wants so it's also that fine balance of trying to push the envelope a little bit and do something new and maybe um have some new options they weren't used to but not alienate everyone and still like ingratiate ourselves into um who our customer base was yeah i want to actually let's build on that a little bit from either the culinary side or maybe steps of service or just, you know, uh, with the design of the interior of the restaurant, were there things that you maybe wanted to do that you backed off of because you thought it wouldn't play? Like if you can give some specifics on things Uh that perhaps uh, were in an original iteration of the restaurant and you just thought, you know what, maybe um, this isn't going to work there. I'm from Michigan. And every time I go back, I like to pay attention about um, what, is going on in Michigan and, you know, no disrespect Mm -hmm. to everyone that lives in Michigan, but I think they're maybe two years behind New York, 
that's how mm-hmm. I would kind of mm-hmm. put it. Um, so did you run into any of that um, when opening up this project? Well, um, one thing I would say is, is pricing, right? I mean, you know, you can't, you know, go to a smaller town and say, hey, try this amazing $18 cocktail because it's, you know, this ingredient is imported from here. And we order from this like small farm here and get these crazy things that we like juice fresh and created all these tinctures. And, you know, um, they'll, you know, we didn't want to alienate people by saying these crazy, <laughs> these crazy people have an $18 cocktail. Now in New York, if you're going out somewhere, they're like, wow, yes, I'll pay that. That was delicious. Um, and so I would say on that front, you know, we had to sort of, um, think about how do we have that same level of ingredients? How do we have that same level of presentation, but at a good price point that, uh, you know, allows people to, or, you know, again, I keep using the word ingratiate. I wish I could find a better word, but you know, it was really important to us that we also gave back to the community of what they wanted and just didn't come in and like force what we liked on everyone else. Um, and Jeff, you know, Jeff was, uh, he's great with numbers. And so he was really big on, you know, it was the same thing when we were rolling out the menu and with food costs and pricing the menu, it's like, how do we kind of, uh, you know, create this menu that we want without having, you know, these extreme prices. And maybe Jeff, you can speak to that a little, but I know that was, you know, something that we were very sensitive about. Well, I, 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 what I do remember about pricing in particular is I am pretty good with math and I was able to understand, uh, food costs. But as I mentioned earlier, I was starting way behind the curve. This was my first hospitality gig. And, uh, one thing I did while Lauren lived with us is I spent a whole lot of time developing a menu. I like to cook. I can cook at home. People say I make good food. And I thought, oh, this will be fun to serve. And I created this, these menus um, and uh, had very meticulous directions, real meticulous costs, thought I totally nailed it. Then, uh, uh, you know, kind of three weeks out from opening when Lauren's hiring the staff, we start, you know, looking for kitchen people became apparent to me that, uh, you know, all that work I had done really, you know, it, it was a good exercise for me to go through, but it was in the dumpster within, you know, five minutes of hiring our chef. I just, you know, you can't really translate what you know from home into a, a restaurant environment. It just doesn't work that way. And I, I, I learned the hard way by spending all that time and then just throwing it away. But, but my numbers were right. Um, but going back to your other question about, uh, things that we consciously, you know, may have entertained, but, uh, uh, kind of took off the table the more we got into it. Uh, and you, you mentioned design. I remember that we once had big conversations about open kitchens versus closed kitchens. And, uh, we decided to do sort of a hybrid. I don't think as uh, new operators, we were confident that we would have you know, sort of a display kitchen that always looked snazzy where everybody was always behaving and not cussing. And we just didn't really know what kind of crew we would end up with. And uh, we knew we would have to grow into our ability to manage it. So we we had a little bit of, in, you know, a little bit of peekaboo space into our kitchen, um, but it wasn't on full display. And as we got more confident over the years, we, you know, ended up, 
expanding next door and the kitchen's basically in the middle of the dining room. So, I mean, we, our, our skills have improved and we, we've evolved, but there were things that we were not willing to entertain in the, in the early going that, you know, once we have a little bit of experience, a little more confidence, we were able to, to, to change what we do. Um, so that, that, that's another, besides the pricing and costing and all that, that's other, is meant to respond to your question about what we considered at first, but sort of backpedaled away from just because we were too nervous to think that we could be successful. Jeff, was there ever a point during the, to me, it feels like you were basically the on the ground project manager. Um, You're the numbers guy and uh, you're obviously, you live there year round. So was there any point during the entire build out process I don't know, maybe you're driving around town with your wife, you're buying groceries or something, you run into someone from the community and you tell them that you're opening up a restaurant. Did you ever say to yourself, I'm in over my head, this is a crazy idea, I'm not sure if uh, I want to go through with it? I mean, you had a successful career. Uh, I assume that there was an opportunity to maybe slow things down and you decided to just throttle it into overdrive and open up a restaurant, which is really stressful. So I'm wondering, um, was there ever a point where you and your wife had a decision about like, Oh God, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was never not a point where that was happening. Uh, frankly, I, and you know, it, it started much differently. I mean, I, I did spend many, many years doing a job I didn't, love but I, I loved how it allowed us to take care of our family then when everybody was you know out of the house and independent i i did decide i want to quit this job i don't need it any longer and to do something that would be fun um but i also read kitchen confidential and uh and anthony bourdain spends 10 or 20 pages just sticking it to somebody like me. He, I mean, in his example, it's a dentist, you know, he spent, uh, you know, 30 years being a dentist. His friend said, you could cook, you, you can really cook. You should open your own restaurant. And this guy says, okay. And he opens his own restaurant with 30 years of dentistry to bring to the, uh, to bring to the table. And, and, you know, in very lurid detail, Anthony Bourdain just goes on to talk about how just over the top, dumb that is and how it's 100% predictable that it will 100% fail. Um, so, you know, I did, it wasn't like complete naivete, but I was still drawn to the idea of, you know, having, having my own bar. And the way we decided to, you know, work around Anthony's concerns was to buy a bar that was already a high achieving successful business. And I thought to myself, that would really go a long way toward managing risks and, and, uh, you know, keep me from getting over my head. It's, it's already up and running. It's successful. I'll just do what the prior guy did. And my son and I tried to do that. And so there, uh, and we just weren't successful. Uh, we just couldn't get an offer, uh, accepted. And then it was really my, my, my son and my wife who just kept pushing the, you know, let's, let's do something on our own. Um, they had never read Kitchen Confidential, I don't think. And, but uh, we, um, uh, they really were persistent, but in an encouraging and supportive way. So we ended up buying real estate and we ended up, you know, Lauren came into our lives and that's, that's how we got started. 
if it makes you feel any better, there's almost no one worse to open up a restaurant than a chef. So I, I, <laughs> let's, let's be respectful of Anthony Bourdain, but also from my experience, <laughs> and I'm sure Lauren can speak to this since in her, in her other job, she deals day to day with a lot of uh, culinary professionals. Jeff, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> we, we can put a piece of chicken on a plate, but you know what? 10 out of 10 times, I'll take somebody who can run the numbers over take somebody who can, who can cook. Um, Lauren, I cut you off. What, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I was just going to say to your point, Eli, you know, when my husband first told me, yeah, you know, what would you think about, um, opening, uh, this bar with my family? You know, my, uh, my dad is retiring and he'd really love to do this after he retires. And I was like, does your dad understand this is definitely not retiring? <laughs> like a restaurant, it could not be farther from retiring. So, but, um, but he's really been, you know, the heart and soul of the restaurant. Like he, when we first opened, you know, we were all working there, um, you know, working in the restaurant day in, day out in the beginning, but he still, you know, he spends almost every single day there since we opened. Um, and, you know, you would come in and find him like sweeping the floors, cleaning the toilets. I like to tell that story. He, he was the one cleaning the toilets, wiping down counters you know, uh, cleaning the, like testing the beer. I mean, he would, you know, he was doing everything. And so for me coming from a place where people were maybe potentially more jaded, like, I don't want to do that job or that's not exciting, or I don't want to do that. He was excited, you know, he was excited to go in and sort of before, uh, before it even opened, like, you know, putts around and be in his space. And, um, and I found that very refreshing and endearing. So. Yeah, I love that. I mean, taking, you know, ownership of the project is is a big deal, but also that can be exhausting because then as you walk around, you're doing all those things, but by the third day, you're like, "Don't I pay somebody to do all these things? Like, why am how, how come I'm wiping down the bar? I really thought that I wasn't going to have to to do that." We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio Network. In the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lilia combines wood-fired seafood, handcrafted pasta, classic Italian cocktails, and warm hospitality. Since 2016, it's been celebrated as a neighborhood gathering place, bringing the best of Italy to New York City. Lilia is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverage Bento Box to power their digital front door, including their website, gift cards, event management, and more. BentoBox is a marketing and commerce platform built specifically for the hospitality industry. With BentoBox, get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Visit getbento.com chef today to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. Welcome back to The Line on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. Let's jump back into the episode with Jeff Bird and his daughter-in-law, Lauren, discussing their family-operated restaurant, Two Birds Tap House, in Marietta, Georgia. I want to ask about uh, opening night. Um, I've got two out of the four owners here, so maybe you can also speak to your significant others, but it's a really big moment to get something open. Success 
or fail down the line, at least you got there, right? We opened something, which in my mind is is still a huge accomplishment. Even if the place goes bust six months later, there's so much work that got into the opening. So um, Lauren, you, you'd, you'd been through that before. Jeff, you hadn't. How did it feel for both of you? Um, Lauren first. So I don't know what it was, Eli, but you know, I've opened restaurants with huge corporate teams backing it with every sort of director of operations for every aspect of the business supporting you and in giant teams and chefs with a, you know, long, like huge, long resume. And, and this, an opening night is always very exciting, but I've had just some horror opening night stories. And, you know, this opening was just the best one I've ever had. And obviously I'm biased, but Truly, um, I really think it stemmed from one, we, our, our, our team is like family and the team has, you know, since changed and evolved, but, um, and they still are that way, but the, but specifically the opening team was like family. We had a really close relationship with each other and with everyone. Our community came out to support us because we did, um, the birds were so ingrained in the local community. So their friends, family members, you know, neighbors, everyone came out to support. And there was just, just general um, level of support and love and, hey, it's taking a while, but you know what? That's okay. Cause I'm talking to Fred over here and you just take your time, sweetie. Like never had experienced that before. <laughs> um, you know, normally it's like, oh, they invited all the press and what are they going to say? And, you know, this was just like, so um, everyone understood, you know, it was like a giant party and it felt good. And yeah, so definitely as, from coming from my experience, it was like the smoothest uh, opening we've had. But I know, I know Jeff had a moment where all the lines went down right before <laughs> all the beer went out right before opening. So he, he might have a different experience to tell you about. I, I do also remember that night very, very fondly. Um, you know, I, I will say that's a night, and I don't even know if Lauren remembers that I stepped in it a little bit. So it was opening night. It was chaotic. Uh, it was fun. Uh, very kind uh, group of people there. Um, but I did focus after that night on everything that concerned me for the future. Again, this was my first time. I was nervous. I was anxious. And uh I knew that the way we ran that place that first day was not going to make a successful business of us because there was just too much ham-handedness and clumsiness and, and things that weren't working right. Uh, but rather than, you know, take Laura and Dan and Rachel's approach and just really enjoy and savor and wallow in the moment, I almost immediately started, you know, going through my concerns. And, and Dan took me aside later that evening or early the next day and told me how much I upset Lauren by acting that way. <laughs> and I remember that. That was my, my kind of my first real lesson. And, you know, I just got to dial it down a little bit and uh, allow myself to, to enjoy moments a little more than I do and let other people do it. Uh, but I do, re I, I do remember that, but on balance, it was a great evening. And, you know, one thing about doing this, you know, my wife and I have lived in this town for 35 years. Our children all, all grew up in this town. You know, Marietta is, is our home in the truest sense of the word. And, you know, it's not exactly a tiny town where everyone knows your name, but maybe half the people do. And um, 
you know, I think it's gives it makes it a little easier for us to be successful because we're just surrounded by people who root for us and support us. So I think, I think, you know, doing something in a smaller town where you've kind of built a life is easier than striking on your own somewhere else where you really don't have those roots and that support. Yeah. They probably give you a little bit more leeway on the front end to make those mistakes and then fix them. And also, like you said, they're rooting for you. You're providing a wonderful service for them. They want to go to a fun place that has great craft beer and good food. And if you're able to do that, then maybe, you know, if uh, the toilet paper runs out and they'll, you know, they'll let you uh, sneak by on, you know, a couple mistakes here and there. But um, I, even though you said that, you know, everyone was behind you, was there, uh, was there a part of you that was worried about, you know, local press or maybe from another part of Georgia coming, coming in and, and talking about it? Um, obviously it was, um, for your town, a pretty high profile project. Um, your son has a certain amount of notoriety. And so did that factor in at all, um, him being an actor and it being sort of a bigger project maybe for the town that you thought, oh gosh, like maybe we are actually under a bigger microscope than a traditional um, local bar and grill that might open somewhere. Uh, Laura may have a different perspective. I did not feel any of that pressure. I, I felt like we were doing this among friends and not people who would judge us harshly. Uh, I also think, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive. My son works really hard not to have the notoriety. Um, he uh, really is uncomfortable with that thought about himself. And so we never really played that up as a, as a way to build up the business or to earn business. It, it just didn't make sense for our family. It's just not where his headspace was. So we didn't, I don't think that created any added pressure. Um, so I, I think we, we dodged those, those bullets you're referring to. Yeah, Dan was very um, intentional, intentional about wanting the focus really to be more about his parents um, and being, you know, such a part of Marietta versus, you know, his career as an actor or using that in any way, you know, uh, whenever anyone would come out to do a press piece or take photos or do interviews, he'd say, you know, Hey, Lauren, Hey mom, why don't you guys take this? Like he, he didn't want the focus to be on him. He really wanted it to be on two birds. Um, now sometimes, you know, I'd have him come back and be my bar back or he'd be bussing tables and people would get confused and say, why does he look so familiar? Um, but really that was kind of the extent of it. So as time goes on and a business is open and, um, you can kind of take, you know, a night away or a week away and, and it sort of starts to a certain extent run itself. Um, Lauren, I know you're, you're not, you and your husband are not physically on the ground there. Um, Jeff, were you able to, uh, back away from the business a little bit and say, you know what, I don't need to be here every minute of every day of operation. Um, are you still there um, more than you either want to be or more than someone else wants you to be? I'm curious about if you've been able to kind of um, get into a groove somehow with how you interact personally with the restaurant. 
I'm very curious to hear what he's going to say <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you asked, it. am I there more than people want me to be? The, the answer is almost certainly yes, but nobody says that to my face. Uh, I have definitely spend, you know, the first few years I was there eight hours a day, probably six days a week, and we're only open five days. Uh, and I always felt like I was doing something important that had to be done. Uh, now I'm at a place where I'm there every day, but probably four or five hours, uh, still doing things I've convinced myself that have to be done, but I'm, there's a creeping awareness that, that, that maybe it doesn't have to be done. I, I go because I, I really like it. You know, it's a, such a completely different world than, than I was in as a lawyer. Uh, I've really come to admire the, it's like the scrappiness, the resiliency, you know, even the resourcefulness of the, the people in this industry. I mean, their day-to-day lives are much tougher than I'm accustomed to. Uh, they, their work is challenging and pressure-packed every single day. they got to get up and do it the very next day. And all also, it's, it's improving a little bit. It's still incredibly difficult for many of these people to, to, you know, just meet their day-to-day needs on hospitality-level wages. And, and despite all of that, uh, they still somehow come together every single day with this kind of collective pride. And, and they provide a really good experience for our guests. And I, I have no idea what the secret sauce is. I really don't. I'm still struck, though, every time I see it. I mean, there's very little selfishness in, in, in this business. Uh, it's a true team environment. People really do lean on each other. People really do support each other. Um, I don't think it's behavior that, you know, Lauren and I as operators can buy. It's just uh, has to do with the quality and character of the people who show up to work. And so I feel it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a privilege for me to you know, be in that mix every day. Yeah. What I found, I mean, I, you know, we're not on the exact same trajectory, Jeff, but you know, I used to do a different job. I used to uh, sit at a desk and then I got into the restaurant world. And at the beginning, I think I tried to work so, so, so hard to prove that I sort of belonged and that, you know, it was my restaurant and that I, you know, should be there. And then what I realized over time with some counseling from my brother as well, is that working smart and working hard are not exactly the same thing. And that sometimes you can accomplish more by uh, either delegating or just getting out of the way. And that took me a really long time to, to figure that out. Um, Lauren, as someone who, uh, you know, you're not there every single day, do you ever get, um, what's your emotional state like by maybe seeing things from afar that if you were there on the ground, you could tweak them maybe immediately, um, but sometimes you aren't able to maybe make the corrections you want, or um, maybe you, you come down for a visit and you see something, um, do you tweak it immediately? I'm curious about what your interaction is with the business since you are not um, in day-to-day operations. Yeah. So, so it was, you know, when we first moved up to New York um, from Marietta, we would still frequently go down and and stay for large periods of time. And, you know, we were um, in constant communication. We were sort of handling like the social media and marketing from afar. We were having calls with, you know, the managers and chefs, uh, speaking to Dan's parents frequently. And then um, as sort of, uh, you know, time went on or Dan would have, you know, um, uh, 
acting jobs come up or I would have. Um, so I work at Bento Box, which, um, you know, is a tech company that supports the restaurant industry. So as I sort of uh, was growing in my career there um, and, and managing more and more of uh, that business, you know, we did have to, uh, it was bittersweet. We did have to let go of some things. And, and um, I think it was, it was bittersweet because we realized, you know, wow, it's gotten to a place where we can step back and not be as integrated as a part of the business and it's still running smoothly and it's still succeeding. And so that was a great feeling because it means you did something right, you know, but, but it's definitely sad when, uh, you know, um, there's times where there's been celebrations, um, you know, at the restaurant that we missed out on and it's really hard to miss those things. And, um, and I think our biggest, uh, you know, sometimes there's guilt too, because, you know, Jeff just really, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, he's the heart and soul. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he takes a lot on that we wish sometimes we could take some of that off for him and handle ourselves. So whenever we come to visit, it's a lot of us saying like, come on, just come to lunch with us. Come on, just come to dinner with us. Like we, you know, have a six month old. So now we're, we're finally, we found something to lure him away. The baby is like the first thing that lures him away from the, from two birds. Smart. <laughs> we're like, smart. Just, good usage yeah, just of the baby. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, just spend some time with your granddaughter, you know. Um, and so, uh, uh, so yeah, I think I think Jeff's gotten a little a little better about stepping away. But <laughs> I want to ask about uh, Bento, your position there, because um, I, I I do wonder. You get to interface with all these restaurants, and you're also in the business, which is I think pretty rare. Most of the people that. Um, a restaurant is going to deal with on the tech side. And of course, as you both know, there's now a, an unbelievable amount of tech touch points within a restaurant, point of sale, backend software, scheduling software. Of course, you're on the sort of website uh, side of things. If people aren't familiar with what, what Bento is, you create websites for restaurants. So um, what type of learnings have you taken away first off by having those interactions with your clients? And then also, um, has anyone ever been surprised about what you're able to offer beyond your normal suite of services? Because you actually know, <laughs> you actually know what they're going through, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, it has helped a lot in both directions. So working at Bento Box has allowed me to, you know, be on the cutting edge of how restaurant technology can help um, the business and help drive revenue. And um, so, so it's been really nice for us because we, I didn't, you know, I didn't know most of that before I worked at Bentabox. And so we just had sort of this, uh, you know, um, little website we had created ourselves and we weren't doing any sort of like e-commerce or selling anything online or we had no online ordering or you know um and so every time bento box releases a new feature um i'm immediately like turning it on for two birds and you know reaching out to the team and saying hey we can do this now hey we can do that now so um and and that honestly like helped keep us afloat during the pandemic because um the the online ordering piece is how we were able to you know keep our doors open there for a period of time um, using bento box. So, so that was uh, really important. And then on the flip side, 
you know, um, being able to provide that voice of the restaurant industry when we are, uh, you know, uh, making those decisions as a company is also very helpful. So, you know, we've since uh, uh, been acquired um, and we, uh, uh, by Pfizer, who also owns um, Clover and, you know, so, it's getting into sort of the POS world and, and bento box, you know, when I first started was just doing websites, but now we do so much more. We have catering, private events, online ordering, um, contactless payment, you know, all these tools. And I'm able to kind of get into those meetings and say, no, 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 this is what restaurants need. This is what works. This is where the gaps are. And um, luckily a large majority of my team also has restaurant ex- industry experience as well. And so I think that's what, um, you know, makes us unique too. I have a lot of people on my team who are coming from being general managers at restaurants that used to use Bento Box or things like that, you know? So <laughs> we're all just like meshing and melding together. Um, uh, but certainly it has helped me tremendously at Bento Box and tremendously at Two Birds. So I'm very lucky <laughs> in that regard. You lead me to my next question, which is, of course, about the pandemic. Uh, unfortunately, I'm impossible to talk with anyone about their businesses without covering the last couple years. Uh, you alluded to the fact that you know you went to a takeout model and uh, and you had to switch things around. Jeff, if you can give some concrete examples of uh, how things changed around late March and um, what the next you know, year or, or whatever it was until you got back to being able to have people in the restaurant eating. Um, what was that experience like for you as an owner? Well, it was a a real opportunity to kind of grow up in this business in a way I wasn't anticipating. Uh, I'm sure our story is very similar to many others. I mean, we're bumping along just fine, fat, dumb, and happy. And then bang, we closed on St. Patrick's day of 2020, March 17th. And I remember it very well because it was St. Patrick's Day. And the previous Friday, we had just received and paid for about $4,000 worth of beer in anticipation of what would be the busiest drinking bag day of the year. And that $4,000 worth of beer just slowly spoiled in our walk-in over the next you know, six or seven months. Um, and we took it day by day in the beginning where I, um, I don't have a precise recollection of exactly how it broke down, but we were completely closed for probably three or four weeks. Uh, We kept our salary staff on because we were hopeful that at that time, like everybody was, this was just a little bump in the road and we would be back in business in in three or four weeks. Uh, We kept in touch with our hourly people. We used uh, a gift card money that was raised from the community to, to keep them you know, paid until we could get them, uh, it was a bridge to, to unemployment. Uh, but then as it became apparent that this was, there was no quick fix at all, uh, you know, Lauren and Dan started nudging us to, you know, think more seriously about the a to-go business. So we brought in a skeleton staff of five or six people, you know, two or three of them to take food out to cars and two or three of them to fix and uh, tried to get the word out about our, our to uh, online ordering platform. And um, again, I think it's kind of the, the kindness of the community. We got a little bit of support there, but there was a brand new undertaking, uh, a 
for us. Uh, we weren't really operating at a at a high level. We didn't know how to present food, pack food. Uh, it just was something we learned very slowly. Uh, and then it seems to me like we had to close down again because even the uh, people that were coming in to serve that Monastigo business with nobody else in the restaurant but themselves, uh, they were just still a little creeped out about you know leaving their homes and, and, and coming to work. And, uh, and so we, we, we closed down again for, for a long uh, you know period of time, or it struck me as a long period of time, many weeks. Uh, time marched on. Georgia began to uh, allow you know, pe- businesses to operate with some fairly significant operating restrictions in the be- beginning. I think, you know, at times our capacity was effectively restricted to 25 or 50 percent of our seats uh, for a long time. Uh, and, you know, Georgia's one of the, Georgia was one of the first states to release that altogether. But a point that I, I like think is important to make, it's, it's you know, the government you know, waving their wand and imposing restrictions or easing restrictions is not what matters. What matters is how people behave. And, uh, and people in Georgia were not that much different than people anywhere else. And they were still very cautious and very skeptical about coming into restaurants. So even though we had the permission to operate, it's not like we were, you know, operating anywhere near even half capacity for a long time after that. And we just incrementally just chipped away at it, and uh, we did a great job of keeping our staff, and I think it's because we had somebody employed full-time to help them navigate everything they needed to navigate to make sure they were getting their unemployment. You know, we, we stayed close to these people throughout the pandemic, and it's our ability to bring people back to work, and as customers became more confident going out, we had very little trouble, you know, recovering, you know, many of the people that... Uh, uh, we had lost in the first place. Um, I think the pandemic, though, also underscored a fundamental weakness in our particular business that we're still trying to figure out whether or how we can solve it. And that is one thing it really did, particularly in an environment in the communities in Georgia and the southeast, is it really underscored how special it was to have outdoor space and you know patio, patios and. And we are literally, you know, the street is literally three feet from our front door in the, in the, you know, the front of our building. And the very busy Freightline Railroad track is literally six feet behind the back door of our building. I mean, we, we literally have nowhere to go. Um, you know, we have garage doors. We can, you know, fly them open. But it, it still is not the same optics. It doesn't give people the same comfort as sitting out in a truly outdoor space. And uh, I do think that in the immediate aftermath of COVID that has presented us with a a serious competitive disadvantage. Um, You know, we are living in a world now where people are not back to normal, but increasingly getting there. So maybe it'll make less of a difference going forward. But if we could start over, you know, we might work a little harder to find real estate that actually gave us an opportunity to have outdoor dining. Sure. There's been a huge amount of, uh, of, illuminating uh instances that covid has uh refocused people's business concepts and ideas and helped them uh realize where there might be deficiencies but also opportunities so did you find that you know with your community kind of rallying around you did that did that reinforce any ideas that you had about opening up um in your hometown like it, it must have made you feel so good 
that all these folks were, were pulling for you. Even if you're doing 20, 50% of your business, um, just having them uh, behind you, like how does that feel as a small business owner, you know? It feels great. And you really can't, you know, undersell how, how uplifting that was for us, you know, particularly uh, in the beginning, it was just unquestionable, you know, love and support coming our way in the form of cash that we could give to our, uh, our staff, uh, you know, like anything, the longer it lingers, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm wanes a little bit. It's not like these people are going to be taking care of you for, you know, one or two years, but they, they kept us going long enough where other circumstances could keep us going after that, including, you know, very generous, you know, government loan programs, those PPP loans programs. Our business did take full advantage of those. And, and frankly, the first one was the difference between opening, staying open and closing. It really was. And, this, and, the, and the second one was the, the difference between operating on a shoestring and actually feeling sort of a return to normalcy. I mean, those were hugely beneficial opportunities. And we're very, very grateful to be able to take advantage of them. I'm going to close on this question, which might seem like a crazy transition coming from a COVID question. But as you look to the future, do you have thoughts about doing this again? Is there a second restaurant ever in your future? Uh, is there a three birds or a four birds that uh, might be spun off? Um, have I just given you another ulcer by even suggesting it? Um, I'd love to hear what, what both of you would think. Um, Lauren first, uh, you know, do you have the desire to continue to do hospitality projects? And then Jeff will hear from you. Yeah, Eli, I don't know if you have ever thought about opening a restaurant in Marietta, Georgia, but <laughs> we have a space that's available if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, we we talk about it all the time and we'll we'll sort of go off on little dream tangents, getting excited about this or that and We've gotten closer, you know, uh, closer to trying to move on an idea here and there and then and then don't, uh, for, you know, and I think I think a part of that, too, is obviously because we were in New York. Now things are a little different um, in this sort of like uh, post COVID world where there's a little more flexibility, uh, you know, for where I'm working from and um but uh but we yeah we we talk about it we talk about it <laughs> we have a lot of fun names we have you know some fun concepts but uh it's also sometimes you know as you know it's it's way easier to dream and get excited about the idea of it versus like actually start getting um down and dirty on it so <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've already s sort of done that you know we opened in about 2000 square feet uh and then the building we bought had a space next door that we took over about, you know, two years later and we added a, a, an open pizza kitchen to it. Um, so that was in a sense, not opening a new place, but it was expanding. It was expanding our business. Um, I, for the longest time, I mean, I love brunch and I would, you know, we're, we're closed on Sunday and Monday now. Uh, so we are basically open five meals a week and I keep thinking we should make better use of this asset. And then you just look around at people after Saturday and think, oh, there's just no way he's going to come in on, on Sunday. And I've also learned from, you know, real professionals that, you know, if you're you know, open for brunch right now, you're a 
you know, a, a bar that has bar food and you're going to open for brunch, you may as well open a new restaurant because that's really what you're doing for one, one shift a, a week. So there are things we muse about that are fun to think about. I, I think what I focus on more and more just – um, you know, kind of, kind of given where I am, I, I started this when I was 62, I'm 67 now. And so I probably don't have the energy to do a start from scratch thing that I would, you know, actually go and, you know, mop floors at for another five years. It's, it's really finding kind of the right person to, uh, kind of continue this business or even in a way that even that makes it their own a little bit. And we, we have high hopes for certain staff members that, you know, show that interest. And um, that's, that's kind of what our focus is on now is trying to, you know, figure out if I really do want to go away for two months, do we, do we have somebody who's actually interested in sort of becoming an owner? Uh, and I think we might, I think we might. Always important to think about if the juice is worth the squeeze and, uh, <laughs> and, and you got to think about your mental health and your physical health when, when even while dreaming about those potential new opportunities. And you're right, it is always so fun to dream. But then you put pen to paper and you realize, oh, I'm going to have to do all this work again. So uh, that's, uh, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm happy to hear that things are bouncing back at, uh, at two birds. And um, let's let the people listening know where it is. So address, uh, social media, and website. All right. Uh, we are located in Marietta, Georgia, at 52 Potter Spring Street. We can be – Lauren, you want to give our Instagram handle? and uh... Yeah. You can find us at twobirdstaphouse.com and on Instagram at twobirds underscore taphouse. Lauren and Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today on this episode of The Line. Really awesome to hear your family story of developing your restaurant concept together, bringing it to life, and of course, weathering the last couple years, which have been uh, unbelievably challenging for anyone, let alone a first-time operator. I'm always uh, so happy and relieved to hear that people are still open and trying to figure it out and making it work even when we're still, you know, sort of in the midst of, of COVID right now. We're not fully out of the woods yet. Um, it's, uh, it's been wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Eli. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.